There's a, there's a piece out of the message or a thrust of the message that I want to I wanna start off with with the kids. We, we often do this on Sunday morning and, and uh, uh, a piece that's just uh, hopefully clear for them and, and maybe, maybe a little clear for the rest of it. Today I want to talk about power. Now, I used, I used to work in electricity. Before I was a pastor, I worked with electricity and electronics, electrical things. You know what electricity is? Electrical, electricity is power. That's what makes the lights come on, right? Well, what if there wasn't any electricity? What if there wasn't any power? If there wasn't any power here at the church, how would you know? What's one way you might know? Okay, your eyes would have to get used to the dark because you'd have to see in the dark because there would be no lights on right? You say, oh, there's no power. But has the power actually gone out? Has the power, is the power gone? Is there no power anywhere? What do you think? Has the power gone off? How do you know? Because there are some lights that are on. Okay, we can turn the lights back on now. So, so power is there, but also the power has to be, has to have an open channel, can I say, a path. The power has to have freedom to go where it needs to go to turn those lights on, right? Well, God's power is like that. Do you know God has power? Do you know that? God has power. It's, it's, it's much bigger than electricity, but there's a couple of verses I wanted to show you this morning. You can see them right here. You can see them right there. There's two verses. Both of them are about power, okay? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. I will tell others the gospel. I'm not going to hide it. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, the good news that Jesus died for us is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes, this gospel is powerful and it gives them, by God's power, eternal life. There's another verse there. The word of God, it works The word of God, God's good news and his truth works in our lives. Now when he turned the switch on, there was power and that power changed something in the room, didn't it? What did it change? Yeah? It made the room lighter. There was more light in this room because there was power. Okay? God's power is like that. God's word is like that. The gospel works in us. And God's word about Jesus changes us. And when God's word about Jesus changes us, it changes us in the same ways like it changed that light, other people can see it. All right? So what I'm going to talk about today is God's gospel, how it changes us. It changes us, each one, And it changes how we get along together in ways that light up this place for Jesus so that others can see him too, okay? So the gospel, the good news about Jesus is God's power. And it'll change us. It does things just like electrical power. Turn the lights on. God's truth should change you, should change me, okay? So I want you to listen for something today about how could God's word, how could the good news about Jesus change me, all right? Okay, go on back and let's, let's see if we can find that together in God's word. We want to, we're studying in the book of Galatians. We've got seven weeks in the book of Galatians and there are several growth groups, men's, women's ministry and several growth groups, including the one 
uh, here in the cafe on Sunday evenings that is, that is tracking with us through this study. Some of them are studying ahead. Some of us are digging in a little deeper, like on Sunday night after the, after the message. But opportunities to hear from this book, this letter to the Galatian churches, is also God's letter to us. And so we take time to study it. We take time to listen in because there's something there for us. Now, the letter to the Galatians is important because it's about what is God's good news. What is the gospel, this good news from God about Jesus, and what difference does it make? Unfortunately, people will, will come up with various ideas about what God's good news is. What does it take for somebody to be rescued? What does it take for somebody to be saved? You ask different people, and you'll get different answers. And that's what Paul had run up against very early as he is telling others about Jesus. There are people coming behind him and saying something else. Yet what Paul said was good, but you need to add something more to that. Others were saying, it's not just believing in Jesus. You need to believe in Jesus and you need to do these certain things if you want God to rescue you, if you want to be saved, if you want to be accepted by God into heaven, into his presence. You want to be restored into the presence of God again. You need to not only believe in Jesus and what he, he died for you, but you also need to do some things too. Okay? We're going to talk about that a little further, but first, the passage that I'm going to read this morning is actually also going to highlight how does Paul know. If somebody tells you one thing and somebody tells you something else, how do you know? For instance, maybe the lights went off at my house. We used to live overseas. This would happen a lot. The electricity go would go out. And it could go out for a couple of different reasons. It might be because we had too many space heaters plugged in and the circuit breaker tripped in just our house. Or it might be because there was a lightning storm and the electricity went out all over. L electricity would go out a lot. So when the electricity would go out, there'd be something we would do. We might assume, oh, just the power's off. Maybe the power wasn't off. Maybe it was just our circuit breaker. And so one of the things we could do is we could look out the window, look across the street or across the valley. Are there other lights on around us? See, how do you know what is true? Well, one of the ways we find out which it was, you could go to the circuit breaker and check. You could go look out the window and see is there other lights on. We're doing something to find out what is really true about the power being out. Well, how do we know what the gospel is? That's what Paul's confronted with. He's going to then de explain and defend the gospel. How do, you, how do we know right up front that we should listen to what he says? That's really what's, what's unfolding in this this section I want to read with you this morning. I want you to look for three things as we read. I want you to look, as Paul describes, the gospel is not from himself or from his heritage. The gospel is not from Paul himself. He didn't dream this up out of his own, and it didn't come out of his background. It didn't come just because of what Paul believed growing up. Okay? Paul's gospel and faith was not dependent on others. He didn't know it was true only because others said it was true. Paul's gospel is the same faith that is shared by all of God's church. I want you to look for those three things as we read. We've got an extended reading this morning from Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11 all the way through Galatians chapter 2 and verse 10. 
So that's a handful of verses. So go ahead and open your Bible to follow along with me. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bible to make sure you've got the same version, it's easier to follow that I'm using, then uh, you'll find us in the Pew Bible, Galatians chapter 1, and on page 823. 823. Galatians chapter 1 from verse 11. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached to you is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any men, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles or among the nations, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me. But I went immediately into Arabia, into the desert, and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before the Lord that what I'm writing is no lie. Later, I went to the churches of, later I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. They praised God because of the change that had occurred in this man named Saul that we know as Paul. Chapter 2. Fourteen years later, he continues this personal story, this personal testimony of his faith. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. Titus is a, is a non-Jewish believer, a Gentile believer, who, by the way, was not circumcised, did not, had not... Um, conform to that Jewish um, tradition that came from the law. Okay, Titus is uncircumcised. Titus is coming with them. I went in response to a revelation, and I set before them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I did this in private to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the word of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. These men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as the apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. All right, I, 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 I set out before you up front something that I wanted you to look for, something I wanted you to notice, because as we read that, there were some things that, that are important to the, to the ongoing flow of the book of Galatians, that Paul's gospel is legitimate. 
It's legitimate because he got it from Jesus Christ himself. He didn't get it from other men. He's an apostle not of men but of God. And his message, his good news, comes directly from revelation from Jesus Christ himself. It's not out of himself or his own heritage. It's not because he grew up this way that he believes this way. But Jesus Christ got hold of him. His gospel and his faith are not dependent upon others in that whatever others say, that's what I'm going to believe. He has had an encounter with God for himself that when God was pleased, God who had, who had set, set me apart, when God was pleased to reveal his son in me, I didn't consult with others at that point. The, the good news didn't come from others. It came from God himself. And I had an encounter with the true and living God. That's what he says. Not only that, His gospel is true and he knows that it's true because when he did come before others with it, to make sure that they were all on the same page, that the church wasn't going in two different directions here in its early years. When the church leaders get together and they had, and Paul says, okay, this is is what God has been doing among us. And those in Jerusalem from a very different cultural background and a strong Jewish tradition said yea and amen the same thing. That what Paul believed the good news about Jesus that saved Paul and changed his life was the same message that the church as a whole was standing on. Now, for us, I don't believe what I believe just because I grew up in it. You are not a Christian because you were raised in the church. I think I've said this before, but it goes back to you know, the, the wonderful 80s. You know, something good came out of the 80s, and one of those good things was Keith Green. Okay, like it or not. But... Keith Green you, w- w- was fond of saying that, that going to church doesn't make you a Christian, or being in a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. You see, it's, it's a personal encounter with the true and living God that Jesus revealed himself to us. God, who had set us apart, was pleased to reveal himself to us. And yet, he revealed himself to us in a way through Jesus Christ and by faith in Christ that lines up with. How do I know that what I'm believing is true? How do you know that what you believe is true? It's because I can go back to this apostolic faith. I can sit down with James and Peter and John. Did you know you can do that? You can sit down with James and Peter and John and you can say, well, okay, this is what I'm believing. Is it true? And hopefully they're saying, yeah. And hopefully your spirit is resonating as you're reading from the apostles themselves. And so that what you're believing is right on with all that the church has believed. The true church has believed down through the centuries. This is not something new. This is not something us. This is not American evangelicalism out of American culture. We need to continually critique our understanding of faith against this book. And, and, we ought, and we want to find a line up in the same way that Paul, when he compared his faith to what they were saying, he rejoiced that they were on the same page with him. They rejoiced at what God was doing with him in a different area with the same gospel. This is the power of God. It's worth defending. It's worth protecting. It's worth knowing because it is powerful. Now, that piece alone is, is the flow. That's the purpose of Paul's testimony in the book of Galatians. As we're following through now, he's going to build on that. We know this is true, and so now he begins to confront the the Galatians. That's going to go forward, but for us, what else is there? I think there's something else there. 
I think we dare not walk away from that passage without noticing the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel that changed this man. It was radical. It was huge. There was a life change in this man that was as dramatic and different as a light bulb that is off turning on. The gospel got a hold of this man's heart. Now, I'm not saying that was instantaneously. In fact, in, on the instant when Jesus revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus, at that instant, Paul went from seeing to not seeing. It was like the lights went out. But God revealed himself to Paul. The same historic and apostolic of the apostles' faith. The same faith that Jesus had revealed to the twelve and the eleven. He revealed to Paul. It was the same thing. And it changed Paul's life. And that change continued as, as, as the Lord showed himself to Paul in those desert years. Pulling apart and hearing from the Lord himself quiet time for quite a time and as he moved back from 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 damascus visited briefly jerusalem went back to tarsus his original home syria and cilicia and there he's being used of god there he's growing in his faith comparing it to the scriptures but there's a change in paul that that those around noticed This man who formerly persecuted us, this man who was the chief enemy of the gospel, this man who persecuted the church, this man who came breathing threats against Christians and throwing them in jail, this man who persecuted the faith has now been changed, has been transformed. It's dynamic. There is power here. His life has changed for no inexplicable reason except that God has transformed him. He now proclaims, he now makes known the same gospel he once tried to destroy tried to destroy, but you can't because it is the very power of God. Now, that's exactly what the gospel is supposed to do, by the way. Do you remember when I read last week that, that what the gospel does, the core of the gospel is that Jesus Christ gave himself, he gave himself, his life for our sins in order to rescue us from this evil age. And I said this evil age is not the evil society around us such that we will cloister ourselves in here. We'll pull apart. We'll, we'll gather into a safe place together so that the, the culture out there doesn't get us. That's not the point. The evil age has been since the fall. And all of us were part of it. All of us have that evil that we still drag around with us. The evil of fallen humanity. And yet... Jesus Christ gave himself for us to rescue us out of that fallenness. So when you read evil age, age of evil, this present evil, think of human human fallenness or humanity fallen. Now, is that real? Boy, run the tape back over this week. What did we learn out of the Boston bombing? What we've seen before, we see again, there is evil, absolute evil in humanity in this world. There you see it. You see it front and center. There is evil. And it is evil, by the way, folks, that we cannot protect ourselves from fully. We will do things to try to protect, protect ourselves from evil, to pre- prevent evil, to hold it off from, from, from others and those that we cherish and care for. Yeah, but we will not be able to prevent it. 
any more than it could be prevented in Boston, any more than, than the other evil of, of, a, of a broken, sinful world that explodes in a small town of West Texas and nearly destroys that entire town. And as of, this, as of this day, almost a week later, they still don't know how many people have perished as a result of that. The damage is too, is too, is too widespread. Evil is upon us. We are in the midst of an evil and fallen world. And when we see that evil, we, we agree with God. We need to be rescued from it. Yet that is the radical change. That is the radical transformation of the gospel. Now, we want to be careful in the book of Galatians especially. Because Galatians, over and over and over again, the message of Galatians is that we are not right before God because of what we do on the basis of the law. Now, when I say that, I can sound like it doesn't matter what you do as long as you believe. That's not what I'm trying to say. Paul believed, and because Paul believed, he did very differently. In fact, as you, as you read through Galatians, when Paul talks about the law, and when Paul warns about bringing the law into your Christian life as the basis of how you're going to live before God, he is talking, the examples that he gives over and over again are ritual examples. You think about the law, you think of a couple different aspects of it, right? You think about that which is ceremonial or ritual, and you also think of that which is ethical or moral. There are things like do not steal, do not covet, do not murder, that don't have anything to do with um, a, a, don't seem to have anything to do with a ceremonial um, or, a, or a religious ritual or a religious tradition. Those are ethical, those are moral. Now we don't, we don't gain God's approval because, we don't gain God's acceptance because I keep moral law or because I keep ceremonial law. But Paul's really arguing in the book of Galatians against the ceremonial, against the ritual, the circumcision, the days and months and seasons and weeks and don't eat this food and it's okay to eat that food. Those are the examples that he continues to raise. Well, he talks at one point about other aspects of the law, about um, uh, stealing and murdering, and adultery, and immorality, and lying, and those things which he calls the works of the flesh, the works of fallen humanity. These are the things that fallen humanity do. But he said the fruit of the Spirit is that we will be transformed out of those things into something new by the life of the Spirit within us. And you know what? Then he said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. What is he saying? There should be a transformation. There should be something new. There should be a change. The power of the gospel ought to be evident within us because it is the gospel. It is the power of God. And Jesus Christ gave himself to rescue us out of fallenness. You know what it ought to look like? It ought to look like Jesus. John 1, 14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Verse 17, no man has seen God at any time. Or verse 18, the only begotten Son who is, in the, who is in the bosom of the Father, close to the Father, he has revealed God himself. So Jesus tells, tells um, 
Thomas later. He tells Thomas, he says, have I been so long with you and you don't get it? Thomas, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. Now I'm going to startle you with what I'm going to say next. You ready? You okay? Holding on. That should be true of you. It should be true of me. If I have been rescued by the gospel of Jesus Christ who gave himself for me to rescue me from this evil age, to some extent, I ought to be able to say, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You have seen a family likeness. Oh, it's not perfect yet. It's not like Jesus displays the Father, but I should also display that family resemblance. Godliness is God-likeness. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, that describes God. It describes the ethic of the Spirit because it describes the nature of the Spirit. God is love. And so, as his child, born again, that transforming work of the gospel by the Spirit changes me, changes you, like it changed Paul. And I've got to ask the question, how's it going? How's it going? I was just encouraged again yesterday. I was confronted and yet strengthened and exhorted as I was in God's word. And God's word fed my soul. Lifted me out of the miry clay. Set my feet upon a rock. That rock's name is Jesus. Reminded again of the gospel. Reminded again that I am that treasure rescued just like out of that steamship I told you about last week. And the gospel changes us. The good news. We feed ourselves on this truth. Christians need to tell others the gospel. Christians need to tell ourselves the gospel. Why? Because it does its changing work in us as well. We need to live in the gospel for ourselves. We need to live in the gospel for ourselves. As we live in that powerful, life-changing gospel, our experiences like Paul, this is not a unique thing. This is not just for Paul. This is you and I. As it changed Paul, it changes you. It changes me. The works of the flesh fall off. The, the fruit of the Spirit is produced, and I decide in the, what's called, what Paul calls the obedience of faith, I decide that I trust God. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to go his way. I am drawn, I am hungering, my, my, my soul thirsts for the living God and I want to walk in his way. And yet I choose to step into it, just like I choose whether I'm going to turn a light switch on or off, if the power is going to flow or not. Paul tells us, don't, don't quench the spirit. Don't hinder, don't grieve the spirit of the living God who is in you, who does his transforming work in you. What does the gospel tell you about God that is for you and I to walk into? We had a hunger that like it changed Paul, this gospel changes us. Now it's not a only me thing. It's not an individual thing. Too much of American Christianity is individual, by the way. Too much of what we do is focused about ourselves. In fact, as you listen to, mm, I'm not going to go there. But let me just say that we not only live in the gospel for ourselves, but we live out the gospel with and for others. 
The gospel is a community thing. You see in that first section, the second half of chapter 1, you see a transformation in Paul himself. And he's even making the point that transformation work of the gospel is in Paul, aside from anybody else's influence upon him. Look what God has done. Look what God has done. But Paul is not an island. You are not an island. We are members of one another. We are members of a body, right? We are connected together. We are joined together. And like we are dependent upon one another in individual human families, so God's family is like that within a church community. And the gospel is best lived in and lived out in the communion and company of others, in the community of others. We live out the gospels with others. And let me show you three ways that they did that in chapter 2 of Galatians. First of all, in the first four verses, they communicate There's communication across the body. From the Gentile wing back to the Jewish wing, there's communication together to protect the gospel. Let's make sure we get it right. Let's make sure what I'm believing in, what you're believing, what I'm telling others and what you're telling others is right. And so they get together and they communicate together to protect the gospel. Do you do that? Do you get together with others? so that you and they are learning the gospel. I'm not talking about your own quiet time now. That's good too. But there was that Paul came together with the others, and I think we can grab something and we learn something from that. We communicate together. That's why, hopefully, one of the reasons that you're here, one of the reasons you came on Sunday morning, did you come to a, a class where you can also learn, ask questions, engage with others? Do you have a small group, a growth group, a smaller group of other growing Christians that you can grow in his truth with. I'm not talking about just a support group where we like and encourage one another, as important as that is, but we encourage one another on the truth of God's word and its changing work in our lives. We live it out with and toward others. If, If Jesus came not to be served but to serve and to give his life for others, you cannot grow in Christ-likeness if you're not doing the same thing. If you're not just seeking to take in and be served and be a sponge, but you are also giving of yourself for others, that's where you will experience Christ and thus grow in him. We have classes, we have growth groups, different ministries intended that why we preach the word is because we need to communicate together in the gospel to protect the gospel, first of all. We need to celebrate what God is doing. You catch that in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 2. Let me read those again. Verses 7 and 8 of chapter 2. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews, for God was at work. God was at work. Isn't that an exciting phrase? I love that phrase. Underline that phrase. God was at work. It's a pitiful thing. When we gather at church and we come and we go and it's been a busy time. But God wasn't there. God was at work. And they celebrated what God was doing in the gospel. They celebrated. You, 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 you can do that individually. I thrilled in my own quiet time in the word, but I wanted to share it with others. I told several people already this morning, man, this particular passage just opened up to me. It was cool. Saw something there that I hadn't seen before. Actually, it was in 2 Samuel, so I can't preach it for another six, seven weeks till we get back to Route 66 again. It's just going to have to stew in me. But 
We celebrate together that God is at work. We celebrate together what God is doing. He's doing it in Peter. He's doing it in Paul. He's doing it here. He's doing it there. I hope when you get together and you're sharing prayer requests together with others that you're praying about what God is doing and you're also praising him, celebrating him, even in the midst of trouble and trials where he is showing his face or giving you an opportunity to show his grace. They communicated to protect the gospel. They celebrate what God is doing. They coordinated to advance the gospel. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. James, Peter, and John, those pillars, they gave to Barnabas and I the right hand of fellowship. They recognized the grace given. We go to the Gentiles. Peter's going to the Jews. And they're coordinating together. How will we together, reinforcing one another, advance the gospel? Remembering the poor. The very thing Paul was eager to do. You know, where that, you know where that comes from? That relates to why, by revelation, Paul comes to Jerusalem in the first place. It's in the end of Acts chapter 11, around about verse 27 or so. Acts chapter 11, a prophet comes to the church at Antioch, where Paul is now serving. And the, 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 the prophet comes there and says there's going to be a famine in Jerusalem. And so the church there at Antioch, they gather together an offering for the poor. Among the, the Christians in Jerusalem who have been outcast from their, from their own society, from their own families, from their synagogue, they have been cast out. And so when the economy is bad, they've got it worse. And these other churches say, we're going to look after them. And they share what they have with the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And so there you are, helping the poor, giving out of what we have for the help and, the, and grace toward others. And that results in many thanksgivings going to God, continuing that, continuing that practical ministry together as a body for folks within and for folks from here. That we will together, band together to do good to others outside of this place. You see, church family is not just about this circle, is it? That we together will do things for the sake of others farther away from us. What does that look like? That community, that living out the gospel with others. Well, I had a, a couple of examples of it recently in our church life. We had a parents' night out here recently. G- young adults said, we want to be a blessing to those young families around us here in this church. And so 25 kids were looked after that night. Babysitting was provided for 25 kids so those parents could escape and have some time together. I was told that there was also some folks that said, you know, the young adults are doing that. We're going to come, come alongside a couple of couples that we know and just think that they could be helped to participate in that if we gave them a restaurant gift card. So somebody else who didn't quite fit into the young adult category joined in with something they were doing to be a blessing to the broader body here in the church. One example about giving out of what we have for the sake of others. On the back of your bulletin, Have you got a bulletin? I didn't bring mine up with me, but you've got a bulletin. Take it out. Take it out. I don't need one. You've got one. Take out your bulletin. You see that front cover, that front galette? Wasn't that a cool picture? I love that picture. That's a nice picture, but turn it over to the back. Turn it over to the back. You see the back side of the bulletin? There's some phone numbers there. There are pastors and elders with phone numbers and email addresses. You know why those are there? Those are there so that you can call us. Those are there that you can email us. Those are there so whether it's an encouragement or whether it's a time when you need somebody else to come alongside you, 
You've got a phone number you can call. You have got elders and pastors in this church who said, we will be there for you. Don't hesitate to call us. Don't say, well, I didn't have your number. No, no, you've got the number every week. And we give it to you at the risk of putting it out there in print where it's going to lay somewhere and somebody else is going to pick it up and we're going to get more spam. But that's okay. No, 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 don't send us spam. But we want you, we want you to have access to us. We want you to know you can connect us. Why? Because we care about this body. And that's what a local church is supposed to be. We live out this transforming grace of the gospel together. We give ourselves to one another. Let me give you one more example of that. There's a table in the foyer. After the service, right alongside, here you've got sign up for the ladies' retreat, and here you've got sign up to help one of our families. Uh, we, we as a church have been alongside Brian and Jenny Epp and their family for some time and been a part of what the Lord has been doing in their lives. Well, things are continuing to, to develop, and, and the next, in the next little while, uh, along with Brian's ALS, Jenny is going to be undergoing some more traditional cancer treatments. I'm not sure of all the details of what that's going to mean, but what it is going to mean is she's not going to have the strength and energy she has now. There's going to be things about homemaking and, being, and, and, and things she does in caring for her family now that she's not going to have the strength and energy for. And the rest of her family is going to come alongside them. And we kind of begin to organize along these ways a couple of years ago, and, and yet the needs didn't develop as, as urgently as they're probably going to be now. And so we're, we're retooling and we're reinitializing that effort. And if you would like to be a part of that, I, I, just in whatever ways you can, in the midst of a week, you've got a little time here, or you could help with this kind of thing, or you could do that, or whatever that might look like. You say, I don't know what that looks like. Well, after the service, go to the foyer and talk with Ruth Senf about what it might look like. This is one of those no obligations. This is one of, don't worry about giving your phone number or giving your email. They're not going to spam you either. They won't spam us. They won't spam you. But this is your opportunity for us as a church to be the body of Christ together for one another in ways that express, in ways that live out the gospel of Jesus, which is giving ourselves away for the sake of others. You see how it looks like corporately? You see how it looks like as family? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't God be glorified in this church? Wouldn't God be glorified in this church if people looked at this church and they saw things going on here within our family and they said, look what God is doing there. Look what God has done there. I'd like us at this point to, to pause and say, Lord, I want that power at work. I'd like us to pause and, and just uh, have a little bit of time to just bow our heads before the Lord and pray and say, Lord, where me? How in my life, how in my connection within the body, what should this look like? Where should your transforming power be showing itself in my life? What change should it make within my life so that I show less the likeness of fallen humanity and more that which I was created for initially to display the image and likeness of God to the rest of his creation? 
What change, Lord, would you work in me that would be your next step in doing that? Lord, what, what way would you use me within our body? How could we as a church be like that corporately together, be the body of Christ in this community in ways that would cause them to say, look what God has done there. I want to take some time to pray. In fact, I'm, I'm going I'm to ask for a microphone as well because I, I, I think there will be some among you that, that would be led to, to lead us in prayer. This is a prayer time. This is not an exhortation or a challenge time, but if God puts on your heart, this is my prayer and I'm going to share it with others because it might be their prayer too, then make use of this microphone. looks like it's the purple one for the sound booth back there. That, let's take some time to pray. Let me begin. Father, you, we prayed to you beforehand, Lord, to speak your truth to us. And we pray that, Lord, because we want to give our hearts to you. We want to give our lives to you. Not simply that we turn them over, but that you change them. Father, that you change me. That you make me less like I have been in the weakness of my own mortality and my own fallenness. Father, you make me more like what you, the very image of God looks like in Bob. Father, I want to be more like you in my own life as you would express yourself through me. Father, I, I, I set my life before your word to ask you to change me. Lord, would you even speak into my own heart? Would you speak to our hearts, Father? What change? What doesn't fit with the gospel of Jesus who gave himself to rescue us? What about my life right now doesn't fit with that? Father, would you work and transform in me, in us? Right there, I ask it in Jesus' name.